Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio. I'm your host, Andy Olson, proprietor of EchoZoe.com. Thanks for joining me once again. This is episode number 34 for February 2011. This month, my guest is Christine Pack. Christine is a former New Ager and author at the Sola Sisters blog, which can be found at solasisters.blogspot.com. We'll talk about her experience in the New Age and the perspective it has given her in regard to things she sees going on within the church. Well, welcome, Christine. Thanks so much for coming on with me this evening. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Now, tonight we're going to talk about the New Age and, and how it relates to Christianity. And I think we're going to do so through your experience, being a former New Ager and now a Christian. Why don't we get started just by maybe giving your background and just give us your story. What got you in? So, okay, so my background is that I grew up in the Bible Belt, I grew up in the South, and I grew up in a family that was very religious. We were always at church every time they opened the doors. My father was an elder, my mother was a deacon, um, they both taught Sunday school, and my sister and I were very active. We were in the choir, we went to youth group. We were just very, very involved and very active. The church that we grew up in was, was a liberal denomination, so it was more of the, the social justice Jesus, which is basically, in a nutshell, that Jesus came to model um, how to live a good life, what life to live, sort of the, you know, Mm -hmm. moral code, and also being kind to others. So I I can't say that I ever really heard the gospel being in that church, even though we were there all the time and enjoyed it and had friends there. I do remember there there were snippets of real truth that I heard here and there every now and then. And I do remember when I was a teenager hearing something about not taking the Lord's Supper unworthily, that if you didn't believe these things, and they kind of laid them out, you know, Mm -hmm. that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he was crucified and buried and was raised from the dead, and and that this was to make atonement for our sins. Well, I didn't didn't believe all of those things, and I thought, well, you know, I guess I, I shouldn't take the Lord's Supper, so... I was about 17, so I stopped taking the Lord's Supper at that time. And it was right before I went off to college. The next year I went off to college, and you know, my family was kind of imploding at the time, the family I grew up in, so no one really noticed. You know, I had stopped taking the Lord's Supper, and so I went off to college, and I basically, from the time I left my parents' home, stopped going to church. I thought, well, I don't believe it, and I don't want to be a hypocrite, you know, and, and mm-hmm. kind of be... There were, I had seen a lot of hypocrisy in the church that I was in, people showing up at church and looking great, you know, on the outside, all cleaned up. But, you know, these were my friends and my friends' parents. I knew who was having affairs. I knew who was an alcoholic. I, I knew, hmm. um, you know, things about these people. And and so when they showed up looking nice and happy and, and on Sundays, you know, the hypocrisy kind of chafed me a little bit. That's I, very understandable. Of, yeah. And yeah. then you, you kind of, I don't want to put thoughts in your head or words in your mouth, but you kind of start thinking that's what all of Christianity is like at that point. Then. Well, exactly. Exactly. And, and and if you don't know anything else, and that's all you know, of course that's what you think. And so mm-hmm. um, I just didn't care for the hypocrisy. I thought, you know, if you want to sin, or, you know, I didn't, I wouldn't have called it sin. I thought I would have said, if you just want to live your life, and just go ahead and live your life. Don't mm-hmm. worry about trying to pretend to be something that you're not. So... I just kind of threw it all off. I went off to college, and while I was in college, 
Uh, it was a liberal, typical liberal arts college in a small town in Georgia. I was suddenly exposed to all these new ideas I'd never heard of before. Eastern religion was starting to, again, I, I think, sweep through our country. I think it kind of had its genesis with the Beatles mm-hmm. going off to the East and having some experiences and then coming back. But, you know, it didn't reach small-town America, at least in my area, until the 80s. So, but it did. And uh, so I was, I was hearing about those things, and, you know, those, those sounded interesting to me, enticing. So I just began sort of this period of exploration, thinking about different things, learning different things. And I have to say, the, the, the Eastern religions were, were enticing mm-hmm. to me. There was no sovereign creator God to whom you were beholden. And, and I rather liked that. You know, I, I kind of wanted to live my life the way I wanted to live it, really. So after college, I began to just go deeper and deeper into these religions. And um, that was really my life, I would say, for the next 10 years or so. I eventually uh, got hooked in with a group that was kind of new age. And, you know, in the new age, you can kind of be whatever you want to be. It's sort of a Mm-hmm. All paths lead to God. You just find your path, and you take your path. And, and if that works for you, and you're sincere about your beliefs, and in some way you feel that it um, improves your life, then so be it. Mm-hmm. I mean, call, call God whatever you want to call him. So I, I like sounds that. Like, I like the, sounds like Oprah. Yeah, very much <laughs> like Oprah. Um, I liked Oprah a lot. I, I She was actually a New Ager before anyone really knew that she she was. I mean, I was watching on her program lots of New Agers, and she was introducing these ideas to the American public. Well, in the New Age, we, we knew all these mm-hmm. names of the people that she was having on her show, but it was insidiously being, you know, filtered into the minds of all these women who watched. And um, Gary Zukov, I remember, was one uh, who was on her show a lot, very New Age. Uh, Deepak Chopra was was on her show. Marilyn Ferguson, who wrote, uh, I can't remember the name of the book, I think it's called The Aquarian Conspiracy. The Aquarian Conspiracy. Yeah, that's it. That's sort of a primer for the New Age, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of this was being, you know, showcased on Oprah's show way back, and um, we all loved it. Those of us in the New Age loved it, because we, we believed in, in the ideals of the New Age, which was that, you know, you just kind of find your truth, and it's all tolerant, and everybody can um, just find their path and get to God however they wish, however they desire. Mm-hmm. So, let's see, fast forward, I guess, a few years. I will say that as I went through each system, that I began to <laughs> sort of become disenchanted after <laughs> a period of time, because what happened was each system just kind of seemed to have its ultimate conclusion without really there being any there there. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, I would, I would do everything I was taught to do. You know, I would do all the fasting, all the meditation, um, converted to vegetarianism. So I would do and do and do, but I was still me. You know, I still mm-hmm. had the same struggles that I'd had before I began. So I would, you know, kind of throw that off and find another class or another teacher or another book. And then I would feel this fresh surge of excitement, like, well, maybe it's here. <laughs> Well, like, what kind of systems were you, you say, systems like... What's that again? uh, When you say the different systems that you were getting into, like, 
What, like specifically, what kind of, which ones? Do you have I really liked Hinduism and Buddhism and paganism, and those were the three that I kind of kept circling back to. Okay. And a lot of their beliefs are, are overlapping. You know, mm-hmm. they're not all the same, but they have a lot of overlap in them. So I just kind of kept coming back to those, you know, the vegetarianism that came from Hinduism and the fasting and, and meditation that came from both Buddhism and Hinduism. And paganism, you know, there's a huge movement now, this whole green movement. Mm-hmm. Well, the uh, paganism is what that flowed out of. You know, we were doing all of that stuff and saying, oh, love, the mo- love your mother, Mother Earth, <laughs> that's what we meant, and um, recycle and all this stuff. I was one of the first recyclers. I had to go and get a, a special box, <laughs> to, and then I would take it down to the recycler every week, and I was so proud because that was part of my works righteousness system. See, the thing mm-hmm. is... You know, if you don't have Christ, you have to have some kind of system that you plug into that gives you your works that makes you feel righteous. And mm-hmm. so that was that was one of my systems, and um, that gave me sort of a sense of piety. So anyway, I, I did get to the end of all of them, and each one I would just kind of go through and pick it off and go, well, okay, it wasn't there. Go to the next one. Okay, well, it wasn't there. I'm still the same. So I would start with this fresh sense of excitement each time, um, and then I would get in my little rat wheel and run, 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 and I'd still be the same person, and then I would kind of fall into despair, but then a new thing would come along, um, and I would, and we would all jump on that. I would jump on that and get on my rat wheel and run, run, run. So ultimately I began to be kind of disillusioned, a little bit bitter. Mm-hmm. And I remember a couple of things were starting to come in. There was this thing called iridology, which Ir- is... Iridology, yeah. <laughs> so crazy, but it's supposedly when you look at the um, the, the iris of someone's eye that you can kind of oh, read okay. their eye, yeah, and and see where they have energy blockages, and Oof. it's all about raising. In the new age, it's all about raising your vibration, getting your body clear of spiritual and energy blockages, and raising your vibration so that you can contribute to the higher consciousness of the earth. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but that is what New Agers believed then, and that's what they believe now. There are a couple of groups that I track right now. One is called the Shift Network. Um, Shift Network? Shift, and it's got... I'm trying to think of the folks who are in it. Let me try and pull, pull that up while I'm talking to you. The Shift Network is a sort of a... It's what the New Age has sort of morphed into. You know, New Agers all along kind of knew that we were perceived as sort of fringe and maybe cult-like, a little bit hippie, kind of kooky, mm-hmm. tree-hugging, you know, we, and we knew there was a stigma, and, and we didn't really like that. And so what the New Age has, has morphed into now is a movement that attempts to um, gain credibility through getting into medicine and science and have legitimate doctors and scientists mm-hmm. come on board with them and, and give them legitimacy. Um, Dr. Oz is, is a prime example of that. The, um, the fellow who's been on Oprah who has his own show and he's just started this thing called the Daniel Plan at, uh, at Saddleback. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I think yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah. some stuff on Twitter about that. Yes, right. yes. And, and I, um, I usually read it in a joking manner, people posting stuff right, in a joking right. manner. But... Well, Dr. Oz is like a classic example of the kind of person that the New Age would have been looking for. You know, he is Mm -hmm. a classic change agent. And I don't mean change agent in like a conspiracy kind of way, because we were all very open 
about the fact that we wanted people to get on board with what we believed. Uh-huh. We believed so deeply in it ourselves and were committed to it. And we really thought that there was science and medicine to back up all of our beliefs. So someone like Dr. Oz comes along, he's handsome, he's articulate, he's, he's Harvard educated, he's, he's got all these great credentials. And so he, he stands up and, and advances our agenda in an unbelievable way and gets invited to speak for America's pastor at one of the largest <laughs> churches in America, which is mind-boggling to me, but, uh-huh. but there you go. That's how far the New Age has, has uh, advanced. And instead of being little teeny tiny bookstores that smelled like incense, it's, it's gone so mainstream that they don't even have to have separate bookstores anymore. They're everywhere. Oh, no. Barnes and Noble. You get them anywhere. Uh-huh. Well, you stuff. know what I think is ironic is like you're talking about them going around trying to get people to believe what they believe, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you also said that their whole thing was you can believe whatever you want to believe so the core of the core of new age teaching is that we want to raise the consciousness there's sort of this idea of this collective unconscious and that everybody sort of has this vibration okay this energy Mm -hmm. chi prana life energy whatever that's sort of connected to this universal energy that's a very hindu thought a very buddhist thought well this is um like a pan i want to say pantheism or pan panentheistic it's, it can be it can be both pantheist or panentheist, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's this idea of this this whole system of energy that we're just little pieces of the energy out of that greater energy source. Mm-hmm. So um, it really goes against the Christian belief that we're we're dead in our trespasses and we're dead in our sins. Pantheism and panentheism says no, we're all part of this God energy. We've all got this in us, it's all around us, and we're all, it permeates everything, and we're all interconnected. And so the New Age belief is that we've kind of lost this, a sense of this, that we believe these horrible lies about how we're wicked and depraved, but we need to awaken to the fact that we are gods ourselves, that we have God within. Sounds like the same old lie that goes right back to the first lie. Yes, absolutely. It goes right back to the Garden of Eden. You will be like God. Mm-hmm. And it's a very enticing lie. So humans just keep chasing after it, and it just keeps morphing and becoming new flavors with different generations. Mm-hmm. So in our generation, it just is sort of, it, it, the flavor is new age. And it's couched in, in these terms that are very enticing to, to people. So it's all about um, taking your energy level that's been dark and cloudy and muddied up with this idea of sin and wickedness and casting that off and saying, no, no, it's not true, and we're all interconnected. And, and by doing that, supposedly, you raise the vibration your, of your, your own um, energy level, and then once, the, bot, once the, the Earth sort of reaches this critical mass of raising that vibration, then supposedly we're going to have a shift. That's where the, the name of the shift network comes from. Oh, okay. So we're going to have this shift in consciousness where the the Maitreya, have you ever heard of the Maitreya? He's supposed I've heard to, of supposed it. To be, yeah, he's supposed to be a cosmic leader who ushers in like a new kingdom. Um, Is he like the New Age Christ? He's kind of like a New Age Christ. Yeah. Okay. That, that autumn, that if Is he the one I... All, there was like some really big um, like newspaper uh, ads going on around the country, New York Times and stuff about this... This Maitreya coming back or something, or he's yes. coming. Yes, um, I can't remember which group's 
it is who take who take out those ads. I want to say it's connected to Alice A. Bailey, who did um, the Theosophical writing. She wrote a lot of occultic books. Mm-hmm. She's really kind of um, the mother of the New Age. Behind her was Madame Blavatsky. She took Madame Blavatsky's ideas and and wrote her own versions of them. And out of that really kind of flowed the New Age okay. uh, thinking. And so I think, I'm not sure, but I think that Maitreya may, may be tied in with uh, some of her stuff, but I'd have to check on that. Hmm. So supposedly the Earth is going to reach this critical mass. We're going to have this shift, and this New Age Christ is going to come in. And they call him, uh, the New Age is, the New Age calls him Maitreya. Okay. So that's that's New Age, sort of in a nutshell. Was this someone so, that we, I mean, fast forwarding to today when you're 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 saved and you're Christian, you're Reformed, um, right. you're dispensational, uh, premillennial. Um, this guy kind of looks a lot like uh, Antichrist, if if I'm yeah. understanding him correctly. What you're saying, right, right, absolutely. Um, that's one thing that I remember as a new Christian when I began to read in Revelation and, and Thessalonians and in other areas in the Bible that talk about the Antichrist and talk about, you know, what the end times are going to look like and what, how they're going to play out. It really kind of made the hair on the back of my neck stand up because it, I had read or I had heard such similar language. You know, Satan sometimes likes to do these counterfeits where he mimics and makes something very close mm-hmm. but not quite right. You know, it's just it's off just enough that it can be confusing and lead people away from the truth. Mm-hmm. But it can sound very much like the real thing. So a lot of Alice A. Bailey, uh, her writings, you know, remember she was the one who's sort of the, the mother of the New Age movement. A lot of her writings, if you, if you go through them, have a very biblical sound, a lot of these and thous and uh, in the twinkling of an eye and, mm-hmm. and that kind of language. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, and there is also sort of an, a parallel eschatology that the New Age has that is in some way similar to the premillennial view of eschatology, which is that they, they have this view of how to explain away a whole bunch of people disappearing all at once. That's interesting. And Yes, and their way of explaining that is that the intolerant people on the planet who will not awaken to their divinity and who refuse to awaken to their divinity and say, no, you know, we're sinful and we're wretched and we need a Savior, then those people are going to be like a cancer cell in this body, this collective body, and that they're going to be sort of surgically removed. Hmm. That's the New Age eschatological view of what's going to happen at the end. I find that interesting, and I would never, Mm -hmm. never take eschatology from, you know, a demonic satanic version, which clearly that is, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of interesting to me that they have sort of a parallel view that's very similar to what is talked about, I think, in the premillennial view mm-hmm. of, you know, the rapture of a, a large amount of people suddenly being removed from the earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I, you know, I'm thinking, I'm trying to let that sink in a little bit, because, you know, um, and I, I've done shows on it in the past, but I told you before, when we started and stuff, that I'm kind of leaning pre-wrath in my eschatology. and um, mm-hmm. Of course, that wasn't the point of our discussion, leading in eschatology, but pre-wrath, but you're kind of describing 
how maybe Satan seems to be preparing for, you know, I want to say a pre-trib view, but I suppose it could work either way. Yeah, it could. I, you know, I, I'm not sure. And like I said, I would never, you know, take eschatology. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely but at right. The same time, but at the same time, it, it's interesting. It is interesting, that is, yeah. That's the, the parallel view. It seems very close, and yet, you know, they've got their their view of how so many can disappear at one time. They've got their own explanation. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Christians, we would have our explanation, which is that, you know, the rapture came and Jesus took his people home. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's interesting well, stuff. <laughs> so, as a as a as a Christian, as knowing that you're my sister in Christ, I guess what really interests me in the end is how did the Lord draw you out of that? You know, how did how did you get saved? Okay, well, um, like I said, I had I had sort of reached this ultimate end to all of the systems that I had gone in, and I was a little bit disillusioned. Like I said, iridology came along. And I remember the kind where you read someone's eye, the iris of their eye, and you can see things. And so I just remember thinking, "Oh dear, <laughs> not another thing." This is—it just seemed ridiculous, even to me. You know, mm-hmm. and I was deeply committed to the whole New Age thing, but I just remember thinking, "Ugh, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to buy into that one." So I just kind of was sitting back and observing, and just not really actively pursuing anything new age anymore and by this time I had uh, gotten married uh, to a wonderful man and we were living in a large city in the south and we were both you know my husband you know he would have I I would say we were both agnostic at best I think we both recognized or, or you know believed that there was actually I would say he was more atheist he really thought you know what stays behind you is is the legacy that you leave however you've impacted people or taught your children or whatever, but you're just worm food. Hmm. And I I always believed in a God. You know, I, I couldn't get to him. I couldn't figure out how to get to him, but I believed in God. So while we were living in the city, we were, were both boosters of the symphony in that city which we both and, and the opera, which we both mm-hmm. really enjoyed. And one of the things that the, the symphony would do is from time to time they would go around the city and they would play free concerts in some of the larger churches that had just had amazing architecture and amazing acoustics. Mm-hmm. And I began to feel drawn to go to church. And so I thought, well, that is very strange, because I had not been to church in years. And so I thought, well, maybe if I just go to these free concerts, you know, as a booster and kind of kill two birds with one stone, support the symphony and... Mm-hmm. And go to the church that I seem to be drawn to go to. It will it will um, assuage that longing I seem to be having. Mm-hmm. So I I did that, and and of course it didn't. And I began to really be in a service and hear preaching, and it was just so strange to me. I just remember thinking, this is just bizarre. I don't believe any of this at all. So, is this more of a like a conservative denomination then at this point? Oh, no, 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 no. No. No? (laughs) I mean, I really had no framework for conservative, not conservative, liberal. I just, I thought church was church. Honestly, I was just very innocent to what was Mm -hmm. out there. So I told my husband that I wanted to go to church, and he thought that was extremely odd. But he said, well, you know, you do do what you need to do. 
So I began to drive to the church that I had grown up in. It was about 45 minutes from where we lived. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, maybe it's there, you know, the church of my youth. And I did meet some old friends of mine who had now grown up and become parents themselves. And, and that was, you know, kind of dear to reconnect with, with people. Um, and I would go to church, and yet I, it wasn't there. Whatever I was looking for wasn't there. And I would sit in the back, and I would hear, and I would just listen. And I just, sometimes I would just cry, and I wouldn't know why. I didn't know what I was looking for, but I knew I was really just desperately searching for something. So I stopped going there, and by this time, my husband and I had had a baby, our first baby, and we moved up to a suburb up, uh, on the north side. And so, you know, my husband said, it's just really too far for you to go to the other church. So, you know, I'll, if you'd like, I will attend a church with you here, which I thought was, you know, crazy. Really, mm. what had happened was 9-11 had happened, and it, and mm. it rattled both of us. It even rattled my atheist husband. Mm-hmm. So, he, so he began to have thoughts of, we can be snuffed out so quickly. There are big questions in life. Who am I? Why am I here? Is there a God? So... He, he was feeling some inner pull to, you know, answer some of these questions. You know, we had had, we didn't live a, a life of hedonistic sin. You know, we were very mm-hmm. devoted to each other. Um, but we were pretty self-indulgent. You know, we just spent all of our money on ourselves, and we took trips, and we ate out a lot, and, and you know, that was just really kind of our lives. You know, but then we had a baby, and then 9-11 happened, and we were just both a little bit rattled, and we just wanted to see if there was something deeper. Of course, I'd already been going to church. So we started attending a church nearby, close to us. And it was a, a non-denominational church, and I have to say it was um, it was not the most doctrinally solid church <laughs> I've <had> been to. <laughs> but it wasn't the worst either, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It was it was sort of hit or miss. It was good and bad, and there was a lot of top. There were a lot of topical sermons, uh, but it, one summer, well, let me back up and say, my husband began to meet with the pastor, and he comes home and he says, you know, I I, I think this all might be true. Wow! And I was like, oh my stars! I just was not expecting that. So I, I just was flabbergasted. I just remember thinking, that's insane. <laughs> I was still just processing and taking in information, and and I just remember thinking, well, that's just crazy. So, but I was continuing to go, and I was, you know, taking my notes and listening. And so one summer, the pastor taught through the Ten Commandments, and I think he thought that it was light teaching, you know, and he <laughs> kind of said at the beginning of the series, well, there's a lot of people traveling, we'll just do some you know, some remedial stuff. I know this is old stuff to most of you. And um, so to me, it wasn't. None of it was Mm -hmm. old because I had never really been taught from the Bible. And so he starts teaching through the Ten Commandments. Well, they just broke me down. They broke me down (laughs) like a Marine sergeant. Wow. I, I just remember sitting in church and just feeling feeling a chasm open up beneath my feet, not literally, but you know, mm-hmm. figuratively, like, I am undone. Mm-hmm. I have nowhere to run. And um, in the one sermon that really undid me, I got up and left the sermon, left the church, went out, got in the car, and was weeping and just completely undone. And 
while I was in the car sitting and processing what I had heard, because I'd never heard this before, that I was under the wrath of God and, and deserved condemnation for my sins, and I knew it. I mean, mm-hmm. I just knew it through every cell <laughs> in my body. And I was in such despair. And then all of a sudden, all those nuggets and pieces that I had heard and, and bits and pieces throughout my life, you know, growing up and being in church, all of a sudden they started to come together. Mm-hmm. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's something about Jesus paying for our sins, and that's why he went to the cross, so I'm like scrambling through the car trying to find my Bible. Like, <laughs> what does that mean? Is that true? What is that? So I find the Bible and I start reading through, and I realized that he was the, the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world, and that he took away my sins. Mm. And I, I repented, and I cried, and I just couldn't believe it. I just remember being so just thunderstruck, just overwhelmed that my sin could be washed away, and that God had the love and the mercy to do such a thing. I mean, who would do such a thing mm-hmm. for such wretched sinners? So, yes, I, I, <laughs> I got saved. <laughs> and it was, that was when my son was... Uh, about a year old. It was about eight years ago, and and I can't say it was smooth sailing after that. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. you know, we were so thankful um, to be saved, and and uh, we we really began to hunger for really good teaching, and it and began to dawn on us that the teaching was it wasn't it wasn't deep and meaty and doctrinal. It was very topical about how to have a better marriage, how to raise good kids, how to you know, and none of those things are bad. Mm-hmm. You know, not bad to to want those things. It's just that it it's not expositing the scripture. Mm-hmm. So we we just really began to yearn for that, and and also the church um, eventually merged with another church that was uh, in the process of going emergent. So for me, with my background as a mystical Hindu slash Buddhist slash pagan. When I began to hear these teachings um, and these mystics being promoted from the pulpit, just all my alarm bells went off. I bet. And, <laughs> yeah, so it was the same mystics that I had learned about as a mystic in the New Age. Mm-hmm. And so at first I thought, I was so confused, I thought, well, there ha- maybe there's some form of Christian mysticism that I don't know about, that is okay. So I started to look into it, and I realized it was the same. And Mm -hmm. so I was very alarmed, and for other reasons, we ended up leading that church. You know, I couldn't really voice it because I just wasn't able to put a frame around it, and I was a new Christian, and it was so confusing. But we eventually left that church, traveled around a little little bit, and then ended up in a very, very good church, a very solid church. And as we sat under very good teaching, I began to understand more and more, you know, what the problems were with that, with the emergent church and the the mystical experiences that people were, were going after. So I guess that's it. Yeah, that's amazing what a good pastor will do for you. I mean, as a Christian and... When when what he good, what will do for you? a pastor a good pastor oh, when he yes. listens amazing. to that calling to that Jesus says to Peter to to feed my sheep yeah when he, when he does that right it's just amazing it is amazing and even before we found the good church that we were in I had 
found some amazing teachings. My husband gave me satellite radio one year uh-huh. for Christmas, which I thought, I thought, oh, what am I going to do with that? You know? uh-huh. but, but we like classical and opera and oldies, and you know, sometimes uh-huh. that's hard to get. So I thought, well, okay. But I found a, a radio program called Way of the Master. It's uh-huh. now called Wretched, uh-huh. but with Todd Friel and how they use the law to witness with. Yeah, one of my when, favorites. Yeah, and so when I heard the witnessing, I was like, oh. That's what happened to me. The law broke me down like that. It showed me my sin and my need for a Savior, and I just loved it. Mm-hmm. And so I was getting really good teaching from that program. And um, so from that program, I found, you know, Dr. John MacArthur, mm-hmm. um, Phil Johnson, Team Pyro, um, some really good blogs that just helped me um, become more firm and steady. Now, that was all before we found a church. So, but then, once we did find... You started knowing what to look for in church. Then. Yeah, we knew what to look for, for sure. Mm-hmm. But we actually had to be in the church itself, sitting under that good teaching to become very firmly rooted. You know, mm-hmm. I can tell with each passing year at this church that I just become, you know, more firmly rooted in God's Word and, and the truth and um, an understanding of, of how amazing and different and set apart the Bible is from all other holy writings, supposedly holy writings. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's been a great blessing to be in this church. When did you start the blog, then? Oh, that's a great question. My sister, and she lives in another state, but she was having somewhat similar experiences. She had gotten saved um, before before I was saved, and she was in a church that was, <laughs> I don't even know what to call it, it was sort of seeker-sensitive, more emergent, but just kind of a strange blend and so she was starting to have questions too so she and I would hash these things out and talk about you know well, what's what's going on over there are they doing this mm-hmm. are they doing that you know um, all these odd teachings would come in and so we would just you just start researching you know just looking looking into these things like everybody seems to be loving the shack is the shack okay <laughs> well you know I read the shack and I was like well this is one of the most new age books I've ever read you know in a lot of well, another thing people don't understand about the New Age is that a lot of Christian terminology is used mm-hmm. um, in the New Age, especially in in um, it's the uh, teaching called A Course in Miracles, which Oprah mm-hmm. had. She showcased it on her show with a woman named Marianne Williamson, mm-hmm. and that was also one of the things that I went through one of the um, systems. But in A Course in Miracles, it's it's very similar to Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, atonement. Now, there are redefined meanings. It seems to be so consistent with any false teaching, whether it be a or pseudo-Christian cult or yes. New Age cult or anything. It, they'll, they always redefine, redefine the terms. Absolutely. Absolutely. Redefine terms. With A Course in Miracles, that's why people get very confused about Oprah, because they think, well, it's, you know, it's... I'm hearing I'm hearing the same things that my Christian brothers and sisters are saying: Jesus and God and atonement and Holy Spirit and mm-hmm. and things like that. Well, and she's still, if as far as I know, I mean, and I don't watch her or follow her that much, but as far as I know, she does. She, she not still claim to some degree to be a Southern Baptist. You know, I think she claims to be what a lot of us in the New Age claim to be, which is sort of an enlightened Christian. Now, uh-huh. I did not claim the Christian label. But the people in the New Age who were of the Christian flavor, I guess, just sort of claimed to be a more enlightened version. Sure. And so I think if she did hold that label at all, it would just be that 
that kind of. But well, she has no problem with people thinking that she's, at least in some measure, Christian. Uh, I don't know. She may have cast it off by now. She okay. really may have. I do know that she did She did claim that for a long mm-hmm. a long time. But, you know, if, she, if, if you did ask her and she did admit to it in her mind, just like me, she'd be saying, yes, but, I'm, you know, of course I'm more enlightened about it. And, sure. And someday sure. your vibration will raise, too, and you'll, be, you'll raise up to my level and uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. I guess my so, point being like that that kind of plays into the whole redefinition of terms that when you you think you oh, kind yeah. of associate with somebody being at least somewhat Christian or at least open to Christianity and they're using these terms that Christian use yes. that you know that yeah. that only makes it worse when it comes to the confusion of the terms. Yeah, I agree and I think it's so important to to define those terms and make sure you're both on the same page because I remember my father witnessing to me and you know he knew that I had you know, dabbled in, in Eastern religions and paganism and stuff like that. And I think that deeply alarmed him. Mm-hmm. But when I got to A Course in Miracles and I was using more Christian terminology, he, he that settled him right down, mm. you know, um, until <laughs> I sort of let it slip. You know, in A Course in Miracles, atonement is not the same as where the redefined terms come in. Mm-hmm. Atonement, of course, in Christianity means that Christ has made atonement for us, for our sins. And our faith in that, you know, grants us new life. And, of course, in miracles, atonement, now think about that word in your brain and take mm-hmm. it apart. It means at one minute. Uh, okay? And that means you are at one with the universe and you awaken to that. Okay? That's what it means in A Course in Miracles. Mm-hmm. So I kind of let that slip, and I saw I saw the alarm bells go off <laughs> with my dad, and I was like, "Oh darn!" I <laughs> wish I hadn't said that because then he began to witness with a renewed vigor. But oh, I know. So all along, you've been kind of like talking to him with your fingers crossed behind your back, and yeah, just I mean, I, you know, he kind of stayed after me as long as as I was way out there with the Eastern stuff. But when I began to use his terminology. I could just see he was just like, oh, okay, you know, yeah. it's all right. Maybe she's okay, and she's coming around. Mm-hmm. But then he realized, oh, no, there's a problem. <laughs> so um, but where I was going with that was that the, the book, The Shack, I remember that was what was in my sister's church, and that we, were, we both read it, and we were alarmed because it was so new age. And yet professing Christians and friends of ours were, were loving this book and doing Bible studies about it and buying boxes of it and handing it out, and we were just horrified because it's, there's, there's tons of New Age theology in there. There's a line in the shack that says, God, the God character, speaks and says, I have no need to punish sin. Sin is its own punishment. Well, that is straight from the pit of hell. You know, mm-hmm. a righteous God will punish sin. Mm-hmm. And he must punish sin, or he's not a righteous mm-hmm. God. So there is some, you know, like any lie. There's some truth to that too, though. Romans talks, for instance, about how people are turned over to their depravity, and 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 that's how God judges, at least in the temporal right. sense. In right. in the temporal right. sense, yeah. a lot of times the sin is the judgment of the sin, but then there's a greater judgment that comes. That's the part they leave out. Is this, yeah, um, I, yeah, I suppose you're right. There's there's a tiny little bit of grain of truth. Yeah, I guess that's what that is what Satan likes to do. But you're you're right though. I'm not I'm not contradicting what you're saying. You're you're definitely right that it is a lie. Like they say, right. you know, rat poison is ninety nine percent in earth. The second part of it, yeah, there's a grain of truth that sin is its own punishment. But the first part of the statement 
you know, I have no need to punish sin. Well, that yeah, is that's the lie. That's right that's there. That's a horrible, yeah. horrible demonic yeah, absolutely. lie. And a lie that people love. Mm-hmm. I mean, doesn't anybody, you know, who oh, yeah. not saved want, want to just live their life and not ever have to, mm-hmm. you know, worry about how it's going to end up? Absolutely. But, so that's what was going on in my sister's church. And eventually they ended up leaving that church and going to a very good, solid church. Praise the Lord for that. But in the meantime, she and I were going back and forth on the phone, you know, for several years researching this stuff and, and like, what in the world? How is this coming into churches? Why is this coming into churches? Where is the discernment? And exhorting people, you know, Christian brothers and sisters around us to be alert and to recognize this and see this. It was just so alarming to us. And so, you know, ultimately we just decided to start writing about it because mm-hmm. we talked about it all the time. And, you know, we really had, I don't know what, I don't know what our intention was really other than to just put put information out there and maybe reach 12 readers, which would have been fine with us. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and that may be all it is. It's a, it's a tiny blog, but we, we love well, you've it. Made a, you've made your name known, though. I mean, people, you, know, you were talking about Wretched. I mean, one of the thoughts that popped in my head was, uh, you know, they know who you are. <laughs> you yeah, know, well, I know, I know yeah. uh, Tony talks <laughs> about, t- Tony's talked about you a couple times. We're Tony oh, Burkettis yeah. and stuff. And, yeah. And, uh, sweet. Well, well Tom's a, a buddy of mine. He actually goes <laughs> to my church. So, oh, okay. Yeah, he showed up at our church because they moved down here to, to yeah. do the program from Atlanta. And there he is. He was yeah. in my church and became a buddy. And, cool. Um, Todd is a trip. He, you know, my he's church, a great guy. I've <laughs> met him a couple times, too. And he's, he really is a cool he's guy. A great guy. He's funny. He's smart. He's The thing I really like about um, his delivery, you know, the way he talks about things is that he can take these deep doctrinal issues and yet his humor is so mm-hmm. engaging that, mm-hmm. you know, we, we call him the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down, <laughs> you know, because you're, you're taking these weighty, deep things that are just ah, piercing you, uh-huh. but yet, you know, then he's laughing and he's got you laughing and you're like, oh, oh. so I, I, I have a lot of... Well, that background in stand-up comedy helps, I'm sure. I'm sure it does. <laughs> So uh, you you put the blog up to to help people kind of understand what's coming into their churches. Sure. So just in case anyone was having this similar experience to me or my sister or you know some of our other friends who were in churches that were slipping or, or you know going in an emergent direction or seeker sensitive that they could mm-hmm. you know put a name to it you know understand what it was you know what was going on and and maybe even find some information that would help them to ask the right questions. With, with with scripture in hand, you know, and you don't want to come in guns blazing and, oh, you got to, you know, and because you've got to be respectful and kind when you approach elders and leaders, and, and that's only right and biblical, but, you know, you never know when, it, when a pastor is going to listen and, and hear you and be pierced by the scripture and, and take it to heart, so mm-hmm. that's how we do it. Well, it really is a good site. I, I enjoy uh, following uh, a lot of the writings there, and you're really good about um, posting every like these new fads that come along, and um, yeah, yeah, we try to we try to stay on top of them. It seems like there's always a new flavor of heresy, you know, coming along, and it's sad, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of the way it is. And you're, um, I know you know Carla. It's it's kind of interesting that you're. Uh, we're talking now, just uh, two episodes after I interviewed Carla Tadler too. Right. It's got kind right. of. She's got a different background, but she does similar things too. And 
Um, and yeah, it's interesting because you, you're both um, we're, we're really captivated by the reaction to the shack. And, and you both, I think, uh, have this foundation that seems to at least tie to the shack. Yes. That's interesting. Oh, the shack. That's just a train wreck, that book. I mean, it mm-hmm. is really, you know, it's gotten into denominations where I just would have thought people would just know better. But I really, my gut instinct and feeling is that there is just an innocence in the in the body of Christ today, that that there's just a just a la- there's just kind of a blind uh, a blank spot, you know, mm-hmm. where apologetically someone should have come in and helped fill in that you know this is New Age teaching and this is you know Hinduism, so that when those things would would come in, that you you'd get flagged and you go, yeah. oh, that's not right, because I mean, I'm telling you, anyone with a New Age background who reads the Shack is, I mean, is just going to be alarmed. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say you have to study every system in depth, but just to know, you know, what their beliefs are and to know that Satan has has very close counterfeits, you mm-hmm. know, because Satan just doesn't always, well, I would say rarely, he doesn't show up with his red horns and his pitchfork and, you know, clouds of sulfur billowing around him and just announce, I am here to destroy your life. He sidles in. Mm-hmm. And, and As an angel of light, yeah. An angel of light, yes, absolutely. Um yeah, even Satan can masquerade as an angel of light. I think that's in Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would say that that the shack is pretty much embodies um, the, the fulfillment of that scripture of those those yeah. gods or you know the, the form of the Trinity in the shack that presents this God who will not punish sin. Sin, sin doesn't need to be punished. Mm-hmm. Wow, such a lie! Such a lie. Well, it gr- really grieves me as, you know, you mentioned that innocence, that na- naivete that people have, mm-hmm. that, you know, whatever their background, they grew up in a liber- liberal denomination, they grew up in you know, maybe an agnostic family or whatever, mm-hmm. and they, they come up, they're not familiar with that new age background. What grieves me is there are so many really good ministries out there that are trying to get that word out and to, to, to show those people that this isn't Christianity, that it's enticing, yeah. but it's not Christian and um, large and small. I mean, there's you've got a great site. I mentioned Carla. I mean, there's great ministries, radio shows, TV shows. Yeah. I mean, but, there are a few. There are a handful, and you know, every so often I'll get a letter from someone saying, "Oh, you know, it's used to oh, I used to get so mad at your blog," and <laughs> but then, but then you know, this started happening, and I started looking into it, and I realized, you know, it was right, and and. You know, honestly, that is what, you know, my desire is, is to help, is truly mm-hmm. to help those people. You know, I don't care if someone gets upset with what I say. I, I try to contend with a kind spirit and a gentle mm-hmm. spirit and to the very, you know, to the best of my ability by God's grace. And, and then I just have to leave it in God's hands. And, and if people get upset with it, you know, I pray that it's not my own spirit that is, uh, or my own manner that is offensive, but, mm-hmm. but that it's. God's word that is is piercing and maybe even bringing conviction um, where it ought to. So. Amen. Hmm. Well, I kind of like to go off on a little bit different course. You and I have talked offline a little bit more about some some different um, sects in Christianity, different teachings, whatnot. That right. um, you know, we we've talked about the New Apostolic Reformation, and this is one that I I know I've mentioned several times in the last you know, three, four, five, six episodes. I know I did with, with Carla, but what do you do with these groups that 
I mean, you're coming from a new age background and you understand kind of the mysticism and the, kind of the pagan ties to, you know, the, I don't even know how to describe it. Maybe you, maybe you can do a better job than I can. I well, know. I mean, I don't know. You know, New Apostolic Reformation is is just bizarre to me. It, you know, it's um, I know it, and I'm not all that familiar with it. I know some. It has some political connections, mm-hmm. and I want to say I'm trying to remember the show. I know that Sarah Leslie at the wonderful blog uh, Heroscope, Heroscope. Yeah, I know Carla blog, mentioned that one too. Yeah, wonderful. She just has phenomenal research, mm-hmm. has written extensively on the New Apostolic Reformation movement. Part of the New Apostolic Reformation, one of their deals is is they're sort of dominionists. I don't know if you know what that is. Yeah, this means, idea that um, that we're going to take over the world and then Christ will return to a Christianized right. world. Right, and so the New Apostolic Reformation has sort of isolated these pillars in the culture that they want to capture. The the seven pillars that the New Apostolic Reformation is sort of isolated, um, and they, they call them different things. They're called also the seven mountains, the seven spheres, but in their vernacular, it's these areas of, of culture that they want to sort of capture back for mm-hmm. Christ's dominion. Um, education, politics, medicine, uh, media, arts. I know I'm going to m- miss a few but um, so what they're thinking, the government, they want to capture these for Christ, bring them back, and then that will usher in the kingdom of God. The problem is that's not really how it plays out in Scripture. You know, how it mm-hmm. plays out in Scripture is that it's going to really spiral into, like, the days of Noah, just a yeah. unbelievable kind of depravity. You don't really see this, oh, it's just going to get better and better and better kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, see, I, I'm always confused by that because... You know, I've got, like, again, I, I know people that are, to some degree, um, at least sympathize with this dominionism, as you just described it. But what's difficult is I know that they also can take a strong, you know, premillennial, you know, pre-trib view. And how do you reconcile the two? You know, how do you, you don't get a, a Jesus that comes back and destroys all wickedness if the church is already taking care of all that. I agree. I, but I think what it does is it really captivates this sort of conservative Christian mm-hmm. um, element in our culture. I think it's very, very hard for Americans who have grown up with, you know, every benefit yeah. to even comprehend that there could be an end to, to our great country, which I think has been great uh-huh. in so many ways. And so I think for some folks, they just sort of have blinders on and think, well, you know, we can we can do it, you know, if you just get the right candidates and get them in there. And mm-hmm. you can, you can, we can turn the tide, we can go back. And, you know, maybe there's an element of truth to that. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, you don't care at all and you forget, you know, it doesn't matter, don't vote for anyone. You know, look at the candidates and, and vote your conscience. Yeah. And do as you think. Well, there's nothing to say we can't that. have, like, another... I mean, I hate to use the term "great awakening" because because um, yeah. Glenn Beck has been kind of destroying that term. But yeah. um, you know, there's nothing to say that can't happen if there's another another word I hate to use is revival. Right. People in in large numbers coming to Christ and returning to, to scriptural sure. values and whatnot. And that, I'm firmly of the belief that if somebody really wants to 
change our country politically, what they got to do is share the gospel because that's what's going to change hearts. Right. You know, and, I, and I agree. I totally agree. Honestly, I don't see that happening in our culture. I don't see the climate yeah. in politics supporting a candidate to, like that. But, but well, you got to get the climate there before the, the candidate, I think, is the, the, the issue. Yeah. You know, we got to. I, pers- I personally think we're too far gone, but, you know. If God wanted to do that, well, that's the thing, you know. We, you know, we we're reformed. We believe, you know, we got to be honest and believe that uh, in our belief that uh, it's God that does the saving, and right. uh, you know, right. if, if He that's wants cool. to do it, He can do it. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do agree with that. Yeah. Now, one of the things I I've noticed in in those that I have contact with that are kind of. Uh, mesmerized uh, to some degree by this uh, this dominionism and the new apostolic reformation type teaching is uh, yeah. you get these um quote unquote prophets that mm-hmm. that travel around and, and they like to talk about the great revival and there's this wonderful revival coming and it seems inevitable that they always say that whatever city they're in that's where the revival is going to start <laughs> well that you know that yeah, just gets and these, people and these are all the prophets that are Presumably speaking for God, right? Yeah. Well, that gets people tickled. They're thinking, oh, well, you know, I love Jesus, and it'd be wonderful if, if he could, you know, if it starts in my town, then maybe he can use me to bring right, about this right. revival. Yeah, I found the guy who's yeah. looking for God, and he's here, and... Yeah, I mean, it's enticing, but, you know, if you, if you look at the, the biblical standard for a prophet, they've got to be 100%. Right? <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sorry. Well, they do, and... and I agree and with you. Hard. It's hard to... And then also, yeah... It's hard to convince somebody that's following that, though, that that's still the case. Oh, it is. I think it appeals to your pride. It appeals to pietism, this idea that you've, uh-huh. you've found something that other people aren't, aren't, haven't found and someone that speaks for God. I mean, I would think that would be uh, very enticing. But I think what, what speaks to me the most from Scripture about this is in Hebrews 1, um, it says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But, <laughs> but that's a crucial but, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Well, people would say, well, that's right. You know, the son is speaking to me. Well, the Bible is the word, right? And what mm-hmm. is Jesus, who is the son? What is, what is he known as? He's. He's known as the Word. Mm-hmm. He calls himself the Word. And so if we want to hear God speaking, we need to pick up our Bibles and read. That's mm-hmm. how we know, that's how we really know if it's God or not. You know, people are looking for these inner nudges, these feelings, these mystical impressions, this sense of, you know, did God tell me to buy that house or marry that person? You know, I have a friend, mm-hmm. it's actually a friend of my sister's who had a very strong impression that she was meant by God to marry this man. And so it was so strong, you know, she, she married him. Well, they've had tremendous struggles in their marriage. And so, of course, you know, this woman is in bondage to this idea of, did I hear God wrong, mm-hmm. you know, or did I marry the wrong person, and just completely paralyzed in her marriage when in reality, if you have a truly reformed view of God as sovereign over all things, you know, if you are married to somebody, that is the person you are supposed to be married to. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so instead of resting Providential. In, in that, instead of in the providence of that, yep. she's 
she's going back and forth of, have I lost God's will? Have I somehow wandered off the path yeah. of his will? And now he had this perfect will for me, but I've lost it. You know, it could just be such tremendous bondage. Yeah. And so that's why I love Sola Scriptura. If you get back to the Bible, it's all in there. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't call us to make perfect decisions. He just calls us to make wise decisions. Mm-hmm. I've had many discussions with friends and people who I care greatly about in, in that that in that topic and, and these nudges and whatnot and it's it's just amazing you know they want to rip their hair out because they can't get me to to believe I that know. you know that they hear Jesus voice whispering in their ear and at the same time I want to rip my hair out because I don't you know I can't get them to understand how freeing it is to just to yeah. just you know do what the scripture says and and let and let there be freedom in all else you know that well yeah and it's looking for hidden knowledge you know mm-hmm. the bible says the hidden things belong to the lord and if people are seeking an extra biblical word from god that is outside of his word i mean well what does that mean that means we all need to get our bibles and and get together all these people who are getting these words and write down what they're saying and then staple it in our bible <laughs> yep. revelation i mean yep. seriously because if it is true prophecy, then we are bound to it. Mm-hmm. Pro- prophecy is a serious, serious matter. Or we could at least be edified by it or, or, or gain something. I mean, there's a lot of scripture that doesn't affect directly affect you or I, but we can get gather implications and application out of that for our own lives, even though it's not directly for us. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, mean, I mean, absolutely. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and tell him to repent that, doesn't mean you and I have to go to Nineveh and tell them to repent, but right. we can at least know that he wants people to repent. Right, right. And and that's what I mean by, by drawing wisdom from it. You mm-hmm. know, you, you see the model of what's laid out in Scripture and, and say, okay, you know, I, he, he clearly, you know, the first words out of Jesus' mouth in his public ministry were, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostles preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The Old Testament prophets did, you know, that's, that's the message. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not complicated. And no, that's it's the good not. news that we have, that there is a merciful, holy God who we're, we're under his wrath unless we come to him on his terms. But if we come to him on his terms and we recognize that he gave a Savior on our behalf so that if we would bend the knee and place our faith in that, in that sacrifice, which was Christ, that we can be forgiven, and we can be restored, we can be reconciled to a holy God. Mm-hmm. That's amazing news. And it it's is. It's not complicated, and, and that's a beautiful thing, and that's what the world needs. Yeah, and, I, and I, I think I mentioned to you before we started that what I called turnstile Christianity, and, yeah. and that there are so many people, and, and it, it's frustrating and it's saddening in some ways, and but I know so many people who think that the gospel is like the coin that you put into the turnstile so you can get through the gate. And that that's right. all the gospel is that once you get in and you get through, then, then you're, you gotta start the next thing. You gotta learn this right. method or that teaching or, or this right. understanding or that practice or whatnot. And, and it's yeah, just sad because it, ra- it took yeah. me a long time to, to come to the point where I understood that it, the gospel isn't just this token you put in the turnstile to get through. The gospel is everything. It, it might get the it might get the token into the turnstile, but it's it's more than that. It's everything on the other side, right? Forever up there, yeah, forever. You're right. I know. I'm so blessed, like I said, to be in such a good church, and my pastor, mm-hmm. God bless him, gives the gospel every single Sunday. 
And I have to say, it is beautiful every time I hear it. It is. I will never, never, never tire of hearing it. Mm -hmm. And I've heard some great men of God that I truly respect, you know, some from the past, some current day, who, who say a similar thing. You know, they'll say a version of, Preach the gospel to yourself daily. Mm-hmm. But why is that? Because our flesh wants to rear up. It wants to, you know, go its own way and do its own thing and turn the back to God and shake the fist to God. And when you yep. go through the gospel, it just kind of settles down that that spirit, you know, that that mm-hmm. um, rebelliousness in humans that we just have. And it, it, for me, it slays me. The gospel just slays me, and yep. I need to be slayed on a daily basis. Yeah. Amen. And for anybody who might hear this that kind of wonders, what do you mean by the gospel is everything? The gospel is not just the beginning, but it's the middle and the end. It's and everything in between. It's just, I just don't know how to describe it. You mean other than pursue it, you know, pursue this knowledge, go into your, read your scriptures and, and just go in with that kind of mindset. That, uh, yeah, go after it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's like I tell my children, I have young children and, you know, I'm not sure where they are spiritually, but, you know, they have lots of questions about mm-hmm. salvation and, and God and Jesus. And, and I just tell them, you know, everybody's going to stand alone before the Lord. You're not going to get in because of me. You're not going to get in because of Daddy. You almost have to be like Jacob, wrestling it out with the angel of God. You've mm-hmm. just got to wrestle it out yourself. You've got to get that scripture and go through it and ask the hard questions. And, you know, what I tell them is that, you know, you can press into Scripture very, very hard, and it will withstand. You know, I went through a lot of other holy writings, and I'm saying that with air quotes, mm-hmm. that you press into them, and they just fall apart. Yeah. They just fall apart. You know, there's no there there. But with Scripture, you press in, and it, and it holds up, and it stands the test of time. It's a supernatural book. It is amazing. It's an errand. It's inspired. It's divine. It's God's own words. I mean, it's... And it's all we need for, you know, for life and holiness. So, I mean, I don't know. I, that's what I, I counsel people is to, <laughs> you know, get into the Bible and read it and love it and and um, just stay in it. And stay crucified. And stay, stay at the foot of the cross. Amen. As much as you can. Amen. Well, I think we're right around an hour. Um, it's You just gave a great gospel message, so I almost hate to now turn around and ask, is there anything else you'd like to add? <laughs> but is there anything else you'd like to add? Oh, golly, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't top um, the gospel. You just can't. But You can't top the gospel, and you can't top that, that God has given us his inerrant word, and and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and, and it's all in there, and um, and that's how that's how we know God. Mm-hmm. Well, how might people, um, well, first of all, how can people find you? We talked about your blog. Oh, okay. <laughs> Our blog is at www.solasisters.blogspot.com. And, and I am on I'm on Facebook if people want to look for me. I'm Christine Pack. I'm not sure what the tag is, but they can, they can look around for me and they'll probably sure. find me. Yeah. Well, I will link to Sola Sisters. So if anybody's well, wondering, you. I'll... You can find it through the post that contains this episode, which should be equizoe.com slash 34. And uh, and then um, if you don't go to the website often, you just get this through iTunes or some other um, podcast catcher or whatever. I just wanted to announce that I did um, just redesign equizoe.com, and I'm going to put that new redesign is going to go live when I post this episode. So. 
you might want to check that out. It's going to be, it's a little bit more streamlined. I mean, it's, I had a lot of stuff on the old one. It was kind of a, yeah. kind of a mess in some ways. And, uh, okay. all yeah, the, yeah, all the same information will still be there. It's just going to be there in a, a nice cleaner interface. Okay. Well, you know, like your site is kind of new to me, so I need to link to it on my site as well. <laughs> so just send me that, and I'll, I'll get that sure. on the page. Sure, will do. Well, thanks so much, Christine. It was such a pleasure to uh, not only to speak with you today on, on the recording, but it's been fun to get to know you a little bit in the last few months. And I'm so glad that when you came to town, you came in October for Jan Markell's conference. That's right. Right, and, and it was so glad that um, we had a, it was just a minute or two, but at least was able to shake your hand and get to know you a little better. That's right. So. I enjoy I, I I'm so glad I got to meet you, too, and I really appreciate you having me on. This has oh. been a pleasure, and um, I enjoy it very much. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Well, that wraps up another episode. Thanks again for listening. As I mentioned with Christine, check out the newly redesigned website at echozoe.com. Also at the website, you can find information on how to find me on Twitter, how to find the podcast page on Facebook, and how to sign up for the email newsletter to let you know when new episodes are posted. Just a reminder, your email privacy is safe with me if you choose to sign up. You'll receive only one email per month when new episodes are posted, and your address will never be sold, reused, given away, or taken advantage of in any other way. I hope you'll join me again in March. Lord willing, I'll be back with another episode. <laughs>